0: All right, well, let me, uh, let me pray, and we'll get into, into our message tonight. And I, w- I want you guys, again, to just be, be ready to, if you do have a prayer request, please go ahead and put it in chat. We're going to uh, review those and be praying for one another. We've, we've, we've been digging in on a lot of theological concepts and stuff for the last few months. And we've, we've in, the, in the effort to get those and get people's questions handled and stuff, we've kind of dropped the ball as far as praying for one another uh, when we're together and we've been obviously doing it in other places and other times, but we want to pick that back up again because, and tonight's going to be a little bit of a story. It's one of the things that led me to share what I'm going to share tonight. So, uh, anyhow, if you have prayer requests and there's a few in there, I appreciate that. We we definitely will get to them tonight and expect to see transforming miracles come, but we're going to talk tonight about Jesus, our mediator. And, uh, with the, with the underlying question, what, what does Jesus mediate? And I, I'm not just asking it as, a, as an informational question. I want it to be a relational thought, a relational question. In other words, what does that mean that he's a mediator? And what does he mediate? What does he reconcile? What does he guarantee? What does he And I'll talk a little tiny bit about, about what that word uh, mediate means. And uh, it's not a, a common word uh, used throughout Scripture. Uh, it's only used like um, in three different places in the New Testament, in Hebrews, Galatians, and in, in the one scripture we're going to look at tonight, which is in first Timothy. But um, so this is the question we're going to go after for a few minutes. So, Jesus, you know what you mediate and father, you know what you sent Jesus here to be the mediator of. And it's it's simple enough to to understand that you're the mediator of the new covenant. But I, I have a feeling, Lord, that we we're thinking in legal terms about this in ways that will restrict how we feel, how we think about what you're doing. And and uh, we're gonna go, yeah, that's great. I appreciate Jesus mediating for me. And then we're gonna move on to other things that seem like they're more prescient for life and more relevant to the issues that we're facing and the anxieties that we experience and the struggles that we face. And I just believe, Lord. For a variety of reasons, that you want us to be delivered from that, to have our thinking changed in a significant way about that tonight. So, we're going to try to take a simple, direct look at uh, the declaration of your mediatorial role uh, in uh, 1 Timothy and just let it be all that we can possibly receive, all that we can possibly grasp about it. So, Lord, I thank you for that. Uh, I pray that if there's any of us who are, are suffering a sense of distance or a sense of disconnection from the Father and from Father's love, if we're suffering a sense of, of uh, narrowness uh, about the Holy Spirit's role in our life, that we can at least make some progress as we look at, at the Scripture tonight and, and the magnificence and the breadth and the depth and the personal nature of what you bring as our mediator, Lord. So thank you for that, and just guide us into this, this, this conversation tonight. Amen. So here's the scripture, and this is the only one we're going to take a, a look at tonight in depth. Um, and then I want us to just kind of I want us to just kind of receive the mediation of Jesus. And I know that's something weird, uh, not the way to put it that way, but let me read this. It's in First Timothy chapter two, verses one through six. It says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man. Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So there's a couple of things I want to point out here, and I want to first of all I'll just talk about the the nature of the word mediate. It's the uh, it's the Greek word mesistis, and it means a, a couple of things, and it's translated in a couple of ways. It, again, it's only used in a very few places. It's used in uh, uh, Galatians, it's used here in First Timothy, and it's used over in, in Hebrews. And all of the instances in Hebrews talk about Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant. In Galatians, it talks about the mediation that uh, Moses did for the, on behalf of the children of Israel and that Jesus now does in a better covenant, in a better way uh, in Galatians. And then in First Timothy here, it's talking just in a declarative way about the fact that there is one mediator between God and and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So, this idea of mediation, we have uh, a term and a a profession, actually, in our own culture about mediation, and it's when somebody uh, plays a role of an arbiter or a role of um, somebody that gets in the middle of a conflict between people, oftentimes, or a dispute or a disagreement uh, or something like that. Uh, There's stuff uh, applied in areas of broken relationship, like divorce mediation or something. And we have a tendency to think of it in terms of a relational version of, or, or relational goals of a legal issue. And uh, whereas a judge and, and attorneys will, let's say in a divorce case, they'll battle out the legal issues and all this kind of stuff. If somebody wants it to be a, a gentler, kinder, friendlier, more relational situation uh, that is still, you know, acknowledging that something like that would be very difficult. Of course, Um, sometimes mediation is that way. It's mediation is also something that um, businesses will use to try to get people to uh, cooperate and work together to come to a settlement rather than be adversarial and so on. Um, So there's some truth to that. I mean, there's no no doubt that that word means that. The, uh, the the biblical aspect of that there is some of that, uh, and you can go back if you dig up some of the old uh, uh, Hellenistic Greek writings about courtroom mediation and uh, family mediations and things like that. It carries a, a somewhat similar word, but in the in the with the Hebrew history attached to it, and with uh, the way Paul is using it in, in in these areas in his writings, it has a, a bit of a different tone and the way a lot of the, the word studies that I was going through talked about it is it can be translated as a go-between or it can be t- translated as one who gets between and brings parties together. Uh, it also can be translated as one who guarantees, uh, guarantees the agreement between two people. And, and, and there is a, a reconciling to, a, to an agreement, a reconciling to oneness kind of thing. And, um, and then it's also related to another concept, and that concept is, is talked about in Scripture using the words, uh, a lot of times, using the words propitiation or atoning sacrifice. And I, I like the propitiation word more, although nobody knows what it means, um, but it means a meeting place. It means that uh, if you were to trace it back into the, the way the Greek word propitiation is used, uh, it's the, the Greek word holismos. It's the, uh, it's the word used in the old Testament, the Greek old Testament, talking about the mercy seat, the gold lid to the Ark of the covenant that has the cherubim and the, uh, all of that on it. And it's the place where God and man met and man, uh, God, God dealt with man's sins and they were in union there without sin being the, the dividing alienating kind of thing that it is. And so, uh, that concept of Christ being the meeting place between us and God carries over to the way Paul uses it when it talks about him being a mediator of the new covenant, and it, it, it has something to do with this. So, we're not going to go into a lot of detail on, on those other passages of Scripture, but I want to read this again with this idea of there's one who comes in between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's one who stands as the guarantor, between all the promises uh, that that are given as a part of this covenant and given as a part of this relationship. And so, then let me read this one more time, and and I'll plug that in a little bit down there in verse 5. So, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So, those first two verses speak to me about a concern, a desire, a goal, an image that we don't often associate with our walk with the Lord. We don't often associate with the mediation of Christ. We don't often associate it with our, our faith walk. But look at what it, what it says there. It says that, that uh, we should prayer and uh, make entreaties and petitions and be thankful and grateful on behalf of all men. And there's a reason, and it goes into the specifics of kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So, the the nature of the success of our life in our walk with Christ is in part dependent upon the nature of the world around us. And I know that that you know Christ said, uh, "In this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer; I've overcome the world." Part of the overcoming is this. Part of the overcoming is the mediation that Jesus enables to flow into our lives and through our lives to the world around us. and it takes the form of our ability and faith to pray and to pray for uh, on behalf of all men to pray for kings and those who are in authority, and to actually trans- transmit uh, transmit what Jesus is giving us, what He's bringing us, what He unites us in the Father with, into things like a tranquil life into like a transformation of society. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but it also says that, so that's from our, our perspective, from God's perspective, it says this is good and acceptable, this ability for us to pray, this commitment for us to make prayers and petitions, and uh, this ability to, to lead a tranquil and a quiet life in godliness and dignity, this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And I love the title that Paul put in there uh, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior. He could have said, uh, God almighty could have said God, the the King. He could have said the ancient days could have said anything, but he's pointing out something. And then he emphasizes something at the heart of God that comes to us through the mediation of Jesus. And it says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, I had an opportunity, uh, couple of months ago to share with a group of pastors uh, that were at a conference. And I I raised this question. I said, if because of doctrinal thoughts or presuppositions or something, we reject something that the Bible says plainly about what is uh, in God's heart, what do we stand to lose from that? And this is one of those kind of passages Uh, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is one of those things that we can kind of take lightly or throw away or dismiss the significance of it because we have no idea how that could possibly happen. We have no idea how unrepentant people could possibly become repentant. We have no idea how the people in high places and positions of authority around us that seem to be godless or seem to be selfish or seem to be driven by money and other kinds of motivation, how could this possibly be? But what I want to suggest is two things. One, just because something seems difficult for us, we got to be careful not to dismiss that as a part of what God wants and, and who he is and what's in his heart. And so I don't know how this is going to happen. And if you press me on saying, and you start listing a whole bunch of people that seem hell bent really on, on their own self-centered power trips and all this kind of stuff. I would not be able to convince you or make a very convincing argument uh, with any kind of specifics as to how that's going to change. However, I have come to believe that that doesn't give me permission to ignore what this says about what's in God's heart. But more importantly, what follows is, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So I want you to connect uh, the two alls in these two verses, it says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What is good and acceptable? That we pray, that we entreat, that we have petitions, that we are thankful, and they're made on behalf of all men, and kings and all who are in authority, even the guys and gals that are driving us crazy, okay? Um, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, regardless of of what we we suspect uh, can happen, how we plan it out, we know what God's heart is like. And then it immediately goes into this, and this is not a connection that I've seen very many people make. I didn't make it for most of my life. For is the kind of word that means because or attaches back. So, the fact that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth is because… There is one God and one mediator, one go-between, one who pulls the parties together, one who mediates and delivers to us men what God has and who God is. And it, almost for sure, in, in the heart of the apostle and in the truth, this desire that everybody be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, that, what all that represents is one of the things that Jesus stands as the mediator and takes from God and gives to us. And then it says, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So there was nothing held back from this mediation. There's nothing left to do. If you remember, the uh, the declaration after Jesus gave himself was, it's finished. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And, uh, and so I'm not trying to make a case for... Any particular eschatology or any particular view about uh, hell or last days tonight, what I am trying to say is that the magnitude of Jesus being a mediator between us and God reaches all the way back into the practical nature of praying for the, the people around us, praying for rulers and praying for authorities, and it reaches into the practical relational aspect of us living uh, a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And, um, and so, this mediatorial role of Jesus is more than what I think most of us thought. Now, and this is something I'm going to be interested in hearing your thoughts on in a few minutes when we get to a QA and a or thought period. Um, I know that for a lot of my life, I thought about the mediation of Jesus centered almost exclusively around him hanging on the cross around him dying and rising again, centered almost exclusively. Then when I started understanding the new covenant, it was almost exclusively in sort of a, a legal governor of the new covenant and and all of that, but it mostly had to do with my standing with God, your standing with God, that we were all right because of Jesus and all this kind of stuff. But what I've come to understand and believe with all my heart and what I want us to contemplate tonight, think about is that the linkage between Jesus as the one mediator between God and man, and our ability to meaningfully and honestly and to effect pray and, and, and be thankful and issue petitions for anybody who's in an authority. Think about this. this. This admonition in Scripture was given at a time when Roman emperors ruled with an iron fist and persecuted not only Israel, but the church that followed. Uh, this was written before the time of the rise of people um, that, that sought to dominate the world, people like Napoleon and, and people like um, Hitler and people like uh, Mao Zedong and, and others around various spots around the world. Uh, this was written at a time when, before there was places where there were checks and balances on pol- politics and political figures. And so we either have to believe that this has meaning because it's bigger than those things, or, or are we just write it off as being irrelevant, kind of. Or maybe we try to write it, write it into such a small thing about just us in church trying to kind of shield ourselves from all the political fervor or all the corruption in the world and others that are in power. Um, I think we have another choice. Another option. And I think the other option is that we see that this mediation that Jesus does is bigger than we thought. It isn't just about our sin and being forgiven. It isn't just about our church. It isn't just about us um, being in good standing with God. I believe that it is about Jesus acting as the go between, acting as the mediator, acting as the one who brings all that the Father is in His heart, and releases that into us. And He takes all that we can be. Certainly, He takes all that we were that was in need of redemption, all that we were that was in need of forgiveness, uh, and, and there is that aspect of the ransom. But He also is the one that presents us before the Father, faultless and blameless. Uh, the new covenant is, is is that He mediates is the one in, in which the final criteria says that, I will have mercy on your transgressions and your sins. I'll remember no more. This because of the mediation of Jesus. Your potential to be a son or a daughter of God, your potential to be in full glorified, full blown destiny and your created value before God is what Jesus brings as a mediator. He's, he's making the deal between these two parts. He's making the deal between the love of the father, the purpose of the father from the beginning of time, And that's why uh, Jesus can say, the Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son. Because in that central position as a mediator between us and the Father, he is bringing together an agreement. He's bringing together a harmony. He's bringing together a cooperation between all that the Father desired of creation, all that he desired of you and I. And all that we are destined to be in spite of the fact that we've sinned and fallen short, that we've stumbled, that we're, we're blind to a lot of it. Sometimes we live in fear and we don't see it. So what I really, all, all I want to bring up tonight as we're, as we're moving forward a little bit is that if we're thinking, and, and this is what I would ask you to consider. If we think of Christ acting as a mediator, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, of Christ's death and resurrection, of Christ's even incarnation, life and coming. If we think of that as just like a transactional legal type of thing that puts us in a position to be saved or puts us in a position to go to heaven yep. or to avoid eternal punishment or whatever, I would I would ask us to say, no, let's expand what Jesus is acting as the mediator of. Let's expand it to include the full love of the father being given to us without hindrance. Let's expand it to the full destiny, the full expectation, the full, um, vision of our created purpose that was in the heart of the father before he ever made the world. Cause you know, we've talked about this, that God was our father before he was our creator. According to Ephesians, Paul says that, uh, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son before the foundation of the world. So before God created anything, before He made a place for humanity to exist and, and to grow and to rule, He had a vision of us being exactly like the Son of His love, exactly like Jesus. And the kingdom that we've been transferred out of darkness into is the, the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so the Jesus' mediation Jesus being the go between Jesus being the guarantor the agreement builder between men and God for there is one God and one mediator also between God and the men and men the man Christ Jesus and what he gave uh, that he died that he rose that he overcame all of that is relational it means that you can walk and I can walk under the full release the full flow the full power of God's desires for us, God's love for us, God's created purpose for us and, and who he knows we're designed to be, and that God can receive from us without hesitation. not He doesn't have to stand off because uh, he can't look at us. He doesn't have to stand off in judgment. He doesn't have to do any of that. He and, 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 and we, Jesus has brought these two parts together In uh, these two people, these two relationships, these two persons, that's a better way to put it, these two persons together in one of the most amazing, amazing things possible. Jeremy, you got your hand up, bud? Yeah, Pastor,
1: I was, uh, uh, you know, I think many of us historically have read this as two opposing sides, and Jesus stands in the middle. Yeah. Um, And so I wanted to get just a clarification to see if 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 we would be apt to reject the idea of two opposing sides. Um, And then um, is this is this also putting an end to the to the idea of um, separation Uh, or is there any validity to there was a separation? Now there's not.
0: Uh, And how does that fall into this verse? So. Sure. Okay, that's a great, that's a great, uh, a great couple of questions, and, and they're a deep couple of questions. Uh, let's take the second one first, and you can remind me of the first one if I lose track of it while I'm answering the second. Um, uh, the first one was about two opposing sides. The second one is about the idea of separation. There's no question that what Jesus is mediating is the opposite of separation. He's mediating union, oneness. And he's doing so by bringing his own oneness here. So he is thoroughly equipped to to release to us oneness. All right. But let me not stop there in in your thought, because this is the absolute direction I want us to start thinking about this. Uh, It's not just that he is like doing something to heal our sense of separation or that he's doing something to pacify God's desire to separate because we're too ugly or we're too sinful. That's not the case. What Jesus is doing is he is bringing the face-to-face relationship that he had for all of eternity. There was never a time when, when you know, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word there uh, was, was with God was pros. It means face-to-face. They were sitting there. Fully embracing one another, fully seeing one another, fully knowing one another. There's never been a time in and of himself that the word, that the the word of the Father, the Son, that Jesus has not fully known, and not fully known that he's been loved, not fully known that he's loved the Father. There's just nothing that was ever a break in that relationship. Uh, And and, and that's so hard for us to understand because… Because even even the, the the first part of your question that there's a brokenness that that this mediation is putting back together. There's a truth to that, but it's a very one-sided truth. It's a truth of our finite perspective looking at God and not being able to see His love, not being able to notice His kindness. Uh, God causes the rain to, to fall on the just and the unjust, but most people don't know it. They don't recognize it. Uh, people that are living. And, and that are under that, that perception of, of, of separation or that perception of living without God and without hope in this world, they don't walk out into that gentle falling rain in the morning and realize that it is literally a mechanism that the Father is loving them with, you know, that He is supplying and nurturing them with. He's cleaning their air and He's He's causing the food to grow and the plants to grow and so on and so forth. So, yes, Jesus does 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 overcome that, but so what he's doing is he is not just making a change or paying a price for us so that we can then decide to get back in that relationship and that God can, can somehow overcome his resistance to do so because he's never had a resistance to do. So it was his lack of resistance to be in union with his children that caused him to send Jesus in the first place for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and while we were yet sinners, uh, he he sent his Son all the way into death to to partake in, in, in that sense of isolation, that sense of separation. So, the mediation is Jesus getting in the middle, and and but it's not even really a middle, and that's another thing that's that I'm I'm struggling my own self to try to cleanse my mind and my heart, and my images from. Uh, it, it's not like those old uh, tracks where God was on one side of a canyon and man's on the other, and Jesus acts like a bridge going between them. It's not so much that; it's it's more like a counselor sitting down with two people who, who are related to one another and uh, helping them hear the heart of each other. Now, God's not having a hard time. That's a bad illustration too, because God doesn't have a hard time hearing our heart, uh, but. We have a hard time seeing him. We have a hard time hearing him. So the answer to the second question is Jesus is mediating the love of God, and He's mediating the destiny of, of humanity back into that relationship that has suffered under sin, suffered the alienation, and so on. Not a separation. I, I, I don't. I don't think that separation is the way to to, to say it. Um, even even at the at the sort of the low point, the depth of Jesus' penetration into our alienation when he was there on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was not a separation. That was him embracing and facing our, um, our sense of alienation, our sense of aloneness. Um, uh, if you remember one of the accusations that's leveled uh, in, in one of the epistles, I think it's in, first uh, Peter is that, um, or it might be in first John anyways, uh, men, men say that everything's been the same since the beginning, you know, meaning where's God, where's progress, all kind of stuff. We, we act as if there is separation. We act as if God has pushed himself away from us. Even back in that famous sort of messianic psalm in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, it says, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. So it's that nature of alienation that Jesus is coming in to expose and to, and to break open our hearts and go, no, the Father loves you. The Father has sent me. The Father is with me. The Father is with you. And you, 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 you see Paul exposing this when he was talking to Mars Hill. He said, you know, even as your own philosophers say, in him we live and move and have our being. So there's not a, in this, okay, but this is a fantastic question. The idea about separation is that the point of mediation, I think that's what we think. That's That's the way we think about mediation, because we don't realize that what Jesus is giving us is his relationship. He's not just fixing a division or even fixing the concept of alienation. He is literally standing there in the middle, giving us his understanding of the Father, giving us his confidence in the Father, giving us his trust in the Father. And what's interesting about that is he can give you more trust in the love of the Father than you have as a finite son or daughter, than you have the capacity to actually contain. Because it's, it, he's not just changing us, he's mediating and giving us all that the Father is and has and all that, that he knows the Father has, and he's putting that there to us. Uh, so the first part of the question was, is he bringing together two parties? In a sense, yeah. Is that what you, that was the first part, Jeremy? Okay. In a sense, Yes. Because this is a relational mediation, not a judicial, just a judicial mediation. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a ransom paid, I'm not saying there wasn't a price paid. And we could talk about that and figure out where that is. But what I am saying is that what Jesus, the the, the end of this mediation is not just uh, two parties coming into a single agreement. It's the it's the actual restoration of the oneness that Fully expresses the father's heart towards his, his child and his children. And that fully re- releases the created value and destiny that God made those children to have. And so it's, it's a, the mediation of Jesus and the mediation that plays itself out in the new covenant is way bigger than just, uh, us kissing and making up somehow as, as two opposing parties. Does that make sense? Does it help?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I noticed uh, even in Webster's, one of the sub definitions uh, for, for Mediate was be a means of conveying.
0: And and so that really has a nice ring to it. That's great. The, a means of conveying that fits in a little bit to the part that I looked up or that I saw in some of the lexicons that I was looking at about a guarantor. Um Jesus is not just guaranteeing the best possible relationship that you could have with the father or that the father could have with you. He's guaranteeing the nature of that relationship growing to the magnitude of his own relationship there. He's conveying his relationship. That's good. That's really good. Ronnie. You guys can go ahead too. If you, if you want to raise your hand. Uh, it'll either be under the participants or under the reactions tab at the bottom of your screen. So if you want to share some, it's nice to be able to do that.
2: First off, I want to really thank you for being willing to address these things because they're not simple. (laughs) I
0: know. (coughs) Thank you.
2: And even though I may not yet grasp, what you're trying to get across, I appreciate the fact you're doing it. Okay. Okay. Um, When we say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's coming out of the mouth of Jesus. It is. The way we understand that right now, or at least amongst our group, is that God, Jesus, was seeing things from man's perspective. That's a good way to put it.
0: He was experiencing and- experiencing it from man's perspective. Okay.
2: Experiencing and therefore used words that would express what he was experiencing. Right. And right. that helps explain away the idea that God never forsaked him, but he said it anyways. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a relatively straightforward, almost simple answer to that dilemma.
0: Now, let me explain something. If I understand where your question's going, and if if I don't understand where your question's going, then just stay with it and ask where it okay. is going later, but All right. I, I I don't disagree with anything you said, but I do hear something in what you're saying, which it it sounds like the, the idea of kind of characterizing it as a simple way to sort of dismiss what seems obvious. If it were simply a standalone analysis, in other words, I just, I have some kind of theology where I don't believe that God separated himself, and so I came up with a reason. I could understand how people would be skeptical about that, but It's interesting as all get-outs that Jesus is directly quoting from Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that Psalms 22 was recognized throughout all of the, the Messianic teaching in Israel as a Messianic psalm that talked about how Yahweh was going to reconcile and do what he needed to do in Israel. Now, if you will read, if a person would read, and every Jew that heard that, would have known this. If you read the rest of Psalms 22, it, it goes on down and it absolutely makes clear that God was not, did not forsake him, but was with him doing this and working this stuff out. So my point is, is that yes, it is a fairly simple and direct way to, to, uh, to make a case that no, he wasn't just you know he what god really wasn't forsaking him but it's not well, a i'm saying it's not just a complete case of speculation and it's yeah not it's a cliffs.
2: Truth. what i was saying is a cliff snow that's great yeah version. that's a great put. It. there's a lot more depth to it and if you want to dig into it you can do that and that'll help you understand it better
0: yeah and part of that you, digging in would be going back and reading psalms 22 right yeah i don't get I mean, why wouldn't it be
2: another Cliff Notes version of mediation if we were to understand that this is man's perspective, that he needs mediation because there is a rift. There is something that's in between us and God, and Jesus is the mediator that caused the smoothing out of that, the communication yeah, yeah. to go through that. Is that something that we could
0: look at potentially? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, and, and, and the reason, okay, yes, I think that's actually a pretty brilliant analysis. I think that it's, I think that's a fantastic thing to think about, a fantastic thing to ponder, because in in similar way to, to what I was trying to answer with Jeremy's questions, which I also thought were very germane to what's going on, if we have a tendency, if we have a tendency to just think legally, then we think Jesus mediating, just basically put put him in a position to satisfy a payment, pay the ransom, do whatever's necessary in that way. And now all of a sudden the the thing that was wrong in the past is not wrong anymore, but it doesn't do anything about what the nature of the relationship right now and going forward is going to be. We're still, that's why we're still so crazy vulnerable to figuring, okay, great. I got saved. Now I have to work a certain way, or I have to, you know, there. But what, what you're talking about is that Jesus is, is, if we look at this as that mediation between our alienation, between our thought, oh, my God, I'm separated from God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me on this earth alone with nothing? Yes. Think that way. Think that way about it. Let it inform this word mediation. Let it inform the concept and, and let it make it bigger and more relational and let it extend forward beyond the cross, forward be beyond our separation. Ongoing, not just ongoing relationship action. building, yeah. ongoing relationship defining. That's okay. what the mediation. Thanks. So the mediation, okay, an, another thing that's a good way to put this in is that thinking that way, asking those kind of questions, asking them of the Lord, is this is this something that's just is your mediation just something that happened on the cross? prior to when you said it is finished and then asked that we be forgiven or whatever, and then is finished? Or is it something that is relevant to my life with you today? And the growth of my understanding of your love for me, Father, the growth of my understanding of your presence in me, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you living in my heart, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's great. Richard? Oh, no, Larry, Larry, you were next. Sorry. Well,
1: I don't want to... Uh, derail what, what you're at on this but there's one scripture there is is for the verse uh-huh. and uh, in, in NASP I'll be reading out of what says will or desires but about 50 years ago the only scripture I had was the King James and it does say will and I'm just looking at my youngs here and, and it says who does will all men. And and yet the argument can be, well, you have a will, but if my will is is stronger than God's will, then uh we don't really need God. That's that's my own opinion, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that,
1: that's what I'm, I'm I'm getting at, and you, you don't have to
0: expound on that. Unless you know. Well, let me expound just a tiny bit, because I mean, this is this is a, a, a this is part of the issue that I want to uh, uh, I want to I want us to consider changing how we think about the not just the the concept of mediation or the doctrine of mediation, or not just the role, but literally what Jesus is doing by 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 being the mediator between God and man. Uh, He's bringing together a lot of things, not just uh, forgiving our sin and and giving us a chance to be saved. He's bringing together our understanding of what the love of the Father means. The Father's not confused about His love. We are. We don't see it as big as it is. We don't see it as broad as it is. Jesus does understand it and does see it, and therefore He can bring that together. In a way that no, you know, no other being, no other person, no other deity, no other anything, spiritual entity, can do, because he knows the Father and the Father's heart and the Father's love, and so I think it would be a perfectly legitimate thing, thinking along the lines you're thinking, that uh, um, if the Father wills something or the Father desires something, uh, David Bentley Hart translates this word intends. But if the Father has a purpose in His heart, has a will in His heart and mind, has an intention in His heart, those are the kind of things that Jesus lives as a mediator right now, being both fully God and fully man, He lives to bring together. And so, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfectly legitimate way. In other words, we can't afford to settle on what that verse 4 means until we have received from Jesus His knowledge of what it reveals about the heart of the Father. And I know that sounds a little spiritual and a little subjective, but that's what Christian life is. That's what growth is. That's what discipleship is, to is to know the Father. Jesus said in in John 17, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. And at the end of His prayer in John 17, He said, Father, I have made your name known to them. And I will make it known. So that's the part referring back to what I said in response to Ronnie, this is not just something that happened 2000 years ago. And that happened at a given time in our life when we made a conversion into Christianity or to, to belief or something, this is how we know what the heart of the father means. And so, you know, there's probably a lot more we could talk about. You're right, Larry, on that idea. What does it mean that God wills this? What does it mean that God desires it? What is the word behind that? But one of the aspects of mediation is the revelation of that knowledge. It is learning that when, when the Father says something, what does He mean by it? When the Father does something, what does that mean? And that's that's part of why I want us to expand our thought about mediation. Richard, or Richard and Jen?
3: Uh, yeah, just to, uh, two things. One, the, to go back to the uh, Psalms, um, Psalm Scripture. Uh, that was another. There was another way of Jesus presenting the truth to the Pharisees that were there, of, absolutely of why. Yeah, of why he he was doing all this, and and uh, hopefully they would they would receive that revelation uh, on the medita- uh, mediator. Uh, I used to see that as a one time act mm-hmm. the the day that I came to jesus christ he 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 and he took away my sin and he and I saw him as the buffer between him, me and God. Mm-hmm. Now I see mediator as that 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 um, everyday revelation of who God is in my life and who I am in him
0: oh that's every that is a great I hope everybody heard that the everyday revelation of who God is and and who I am in him. That's amazing, Richard. That's yeah. I think that goes d- directly to the point of why I was willing to wrestle into this topic tonight on mediation, why I kicked it around a little bit because the whole thread that we've been on for a little while, at least my heart's been, been leading you guys down that whole thread about the fact that God is our father and we need to know it because his fatherhood is what governs how he thinks of us, what he does. That is brilliantly put that it's the everyday revelation of the heart of the father towards us and who we are toward him and who, who we can be towards him. See, that's another thing. Um, I would guess that most of us in here, if pressed with the question, how happy are you with your ability to love the Father, we would all probably express some, or be tempted to express some negative response, like you know, I wish I could do it more, or I wish I loved him more consistently or better or something. Jesus is, is pulling that into the equation, into the relationship too, and and keep keep in mind what it says there. In and it's a very specific series of words. It says, "For there is one God." and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The mediation aspect of pulling what the Father has for us and making it real comes from the fact that Jesus is, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is with the Father, He is God, all that John talked about in the prologue. But the thing that allows Jesus to take the imperfect and the unfully developed part of us that we were created to glorify God with, we were created to relate to God with, we were created to be children. And then if children heirs and if heirs sons uh, and then priests and kings and all this kind of stuff, pulling He Jesus mediates to pull that out of us and present it to the father as well. So I would commend that analysis, the everyday revelation of who the father is towards us and how he thinks and who we are towards him. That's well said. That's well said. Anybody else got a thought? I'm going to jump to one more point. All right. The one point is, so this thought on mediation is kind of in in the wheelhouse of my relational and theological thinking. And if you know me, you know that that's true. And so that's why we talked about a little bit on Tuesday. That's why I expanded on it and pondered it this week. There were a couple of other events that happened to me this week that play into this. And uh, one of them is going to be a segue into where we're going from now. Uh, yesterday, uh, or, or last week, I was the first Wednesday of the month, and every first Wednesday of the month, or almost every one, I pray with a group of pastors around the Colorado Springs area. We've been doing it for quite a while, some of them uh, a couple of years and so on, but, uh, or, or several years, actually. Um, but anyway, as a result of that meeting, I ended up having uh, a lunch scheduled for yesterday with a guy that I had known for two years, we'd never spend any personal time together outside the prayer meeting. His name's Terry Thomas. He's a black pastor in town. And he has some very, very unique, uh, I mean, not not unique. He has some very strong views on the importance of dealing with racism and how that is going to have a bearing on the freedom of God to bring revival to the nation, uh, our nation, and, and influence the world and stuff like that. Uh, So I could tell by some of the stuff that was being said and talked about that he probably had some different view on certain politicians and certain issues and certain racial things than I did. And, uh, but I love the guy and, and he had a lot, seemed like he had a lot of respect for me. So I was, I was very much looking forward to lunch with him. So we had this neat lunch yesterday and uh, I shared a little bit of my story first, kind of introduce the brief history of Joyland. And then he shared in great detail with me and, uh, and I, I just, I can't do much to give you guys an impression of who Terry is and his wife and his family. Um, they've been married for 40 47 years or something like that, 45 years and uh, 46 years, something like that. And uh, they have weathered the storm of losing three children. One as a, a little baby, one as a 16 year old who was diagnosed with cancer and, Uh, a young adult son uh, that was 30 something years old died of massive heart attack. And that's out of their, their uh, four or five children. And I go just, I'm I'm just so amazed that you guys hung together through those things. And and then uh, he's black and he grew up in the South side of Chicago, had a couple amazing defining moments. And if you, if you think about these, I'll just share them real briefly. Uh, But um, when he was nine years old, his school in the South side of Chicago, which was an all black school had a, a political project and they, all the kids wrote letters to political candidates. And if, uh, at the time, and, and that was when uh, George Wallace was running for president and uh, of all the kids in that, all the nine-year-olds in that school, he was the one that uh, the candidate governor, governor Wallace wrote back to him. And what, what Wallace wrote to him was, a reiteration, basically, of the segregationist policies and an affirmation that your people are inferior, uh, you, you, you don't have the mental capacity, you don't have the, the physical attribute, you don't have this, that, and the other. And it was devastating, as you might guess, for a nine-year-old kid, you know, who was just doing a civics project. Then he had another uh, quite opposite sort of brief but life-defining uh, event when he was 11 years old uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was up in Chicago meeting, going to a conference and or a meeting or something rally. I don't know exactly what it was, but he said, I just was kind of like the woman with the issue of blood. I had my my little brother in my, my hands and we pressed on into the very front of the crowd, got right standing just down on the edge of the curb. And he said, I know it may have not been this way, but this is how it felt to me. When Dr. King's car went by, he locked eyes with me and I felt something of his love and something of his passion transfer into me. And so I sat there just listening to all of this and, and completely fascinated. I love the guy. And uh, and I thought, wow, uh, he has a perspective that I could use. Now, I don't know that I I would even share all of it. And I know there are some political views and stuff that would be very difficult. I'd have to really see things in a different light to be able to fully embrace those as mine. However, however, uh, I don't have to do that in part because of Jesus is able to be between us. Jesus is able to take how the Father sees His life and His perspective and he's able to help mediate that into me. He's helped to make that real and deliver it into me and me into him. Uh, so that was one. And then the other event that happened this week is we had a, a leaders meeting, uh, elders meeting and board meeting. And one of the really super topics that came up in that was the thing I had mentioned earlier in the, in the gathering tonight, that we kind of dropped the ball on praying for one another, just simple praying for one another and expecting Uh, healings and expecting the miraculous things and all that kind of stuff to happen. And this idea of what Jesus is mediating is not just the forgiveness of our sins. It's not just the payment of a violation. It's not just grace as some sort of abstract religious concept. He is also mediating the power of God. Think about this one scripture that's in John. I think it's in John chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you— you can ask whatever it w- uh, you will and it will be done for you. I don't know if any of you have ever thought of the of the power of that phrase it will be done for you. But that is the that is a description I think now of the mediation that Jesus provides. He takes Jehovah Rapha, and he brings it into our our world, and our relationship, or into our world through our relationship with the Father. So, when we're going to be praying in just a little bit for some of these, um, when we're going to be praying for, for some of the prayer requests that are up here, and, and hopefully others that may come up as we pray in a moment, it's the mediation of Jesus, the guarantor, the, or as you put it, uh, who, was it you, Jeremy, that put it, the one that delivers something to us, the thing that's going to be done for us is going to be done through the mediation of Jesus. The thing that through him being, yes, in between the two of us, but not as just opposing parties. How about in between the two of us as an infinite father and a finite son or a finite daughter? How about bridging the gap between the infinite and the finite? How about bridging the gap between having all the resources that were necessary to speak the universe into existence out of absolutely nothing and having us who are confused and struggling to be able to apply the power, resources, and creative, uh, you know, force that we have, the creative imagination that we have. How about if Jesus is able to bring those things together? How about if he's able to bring the, the woundedness of our heart and the expansiveness of God's heart together so that that woundedness is swallowed up in wholeness? How about if he's able to bring the infinite revelation of, of, of our value to our own sense of shame, and that shame ends up in Jesus between us and the Father getting swallowed up and going away? That's the mediation that I want us to think about. I don't think we can overestimate what Jesus is willing to mediate between us and God, and I don't think he's and, and so then that goes back to what Larry's saying, or what Larry was asking or talking about, is at some point we have to consider seriously if God intends something, what is the limit on Christ being able to mediate that to us? You know, and again, I'm not I'm not, I'm not trying to get off in that and talk about a doctrine of universalism or a doctrine of eternal conscious torment or anything. I'm just saying let's not start at our doctrine and then and then reduce this amazing intervention, intercession, interaction that Jesus is providing as our high priest, as, our, uh, as the Son of God, as, as the, the Lamb of God, as the, the one who is with the Father, who knows everything about the Father. One last passage I want to refer to, and then we're going to wrap up and, and go to prayer, is that amazing passage in Matthew chapter 11, where it says, no one knows the Father except the Son and those He's willing to reveal Him to. And then the very next thing lays out what I like to call the qualifications for the ones who Jesus is willing to mediate the knowledge of the Father to. All you who are weary and burdened, come, and I'll give you rest. He's going to make known the rest that there is in the Father. Uh, you know, Hebrews says in chapter 3, it says to labor or work to enter into that rest. Be intentional about it. Be, be labored to enter rest. Well, how do we do that? Is it just on our side? No, it's because we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens that we can come boldly before the throne and receive grace to help in time of need. It's because of this mediation. So if if tonight turns out to be a success in any measure, it uh, and I think it can, it will help provoke us because I can't answer all these questions and I don't think any of us can. The point is, it's not a single topic that we need to get right. It is a, however Richard said it was was fantastic, it's a daily revelation of the heart of the Father, and of our heart back to Him, and of our capacity as brothers of Jesus, as fellow, uh, fellow sons and daughters, to be in union with the Father.